Amen. Good morning. It's nice to see all those beanies out there. <laughs> Winter finally came. Um, so uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors. We are excited that you're with us, and, and it's a great day this morning, great day tonight. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was in the choir. And our school, I grew up in Colorado, and our school had a pretty good music program. The guy who ran it, Mr. Dixon, now the the auditorium is named after him. He was just one of those. He had the ear. He could figure it out. And, and his choirs won competitions all the time. And I was in this choir of about 60 people. Um, and I remember I was in the third, second or third row. And one day we're all singing and, you know, we think we're great. And, and he's just walking back and forth. Maybe you were in choir. And he's just listening. And he gets this look. And you know when he gets this look, he hears something. And so he stops and he says, this half, stop singing. And they stop singing. And then he kept walking over on this half, and he was listening. He's like, okay, top two rows, stop singing. They stopped singing. He kept listening. Now, this section got down to about, I don't know, eight people, and I'm one of them. And, and he's looking at this group, and so I, as soon as we started singing again, I just started lip syncing. And he went, it's gone. It's okay. <laughs> so, so out of 60, he diagnosed the, the problem, and it was me. So from then on, I realized I'm not going to have much to offer this choir, so I just, I just lip sync. Um, I looked good doing it, but, but, I, you know, but I was just lip syncing. Um, you ever feel like that spiritually? Or have you ever seen that or experienced that? Or in any sport, you know, this can be in anything, music, sports, somebody's on the team and they're just happy to be on the team, but they're not doing anything. You know, uh, I, I was a wrestler and there were some of those on the team that, you know, when, when coach would turn around, they'd stop jogging. They're, you know, people just, they're just there. You ever like that spiritually? We're kind of like, well, I got, out of, I got my get out of hell free card, and now I'm just, I'm just happy. I'm just fine. And then just kind of going through life, whatever, rather than going all in. I mean, we just finished our all in series, but going all in with what God would have in our lives. We're in Second Peter, so turn to Second Peter. But I think today, second, you know, Peter is going to address uh, Lazy River Christians. You know, you ever go to the, the water parks? My favorite is the Lazy River where you just sit on a tube and just float around. And we can do that spiritually where we just kind of hop on the tube and just, you know, wherever it goes, there we go. Um, rather than putting our feet down and, and getting out and doing something. Um, if you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you um, or behind you or under you. Uh, and Second Peter, by the way, if you don't know where Second Peter is, use the table of contents. Uh, it's a great place to go. But here, Second Peter, he's going to continue. Last week, we only looked at four verses. And this is, uh, you know, in group this week, we enjoy talking about it because it's so chock full of deep stuff. But it began with, you know, your, your faith, the faith that has been given to you by God. It, he says, now let grace and peace be multiplied, meaning really grow in this grace. Uh, let grace, meaning God's blessing, increase in your life. Uh, let the peace, meaning completeness or wholeness in Him, uh, grow in you. And so this grace that saves in the first couple verses is also the grace that sustains, we see in verses 3 or 4, where he goes on to say in verse 3 that His divine power, His power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And in verse 4, he talks about the promises and that we are partakers of the divine nature, that we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's what's cool. All of that was done to us. By faith, 
if we accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we admit we're a sinner, we, we, we repent, meaning we turn from the sin, not, we don't become perfect, but we turn from sin toward Jesus, we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, all this God does. You know, there's nothing in those first four verses that you do, it's all done to you, which when you just sit back and, and realize what God has done, hopefully it fills you with gratefulness, thankfulness, joy. That, you know, remember Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. Like, that's it. You know, this righteousness we saw in the first few verses, we are righteous, not a self-righteousness, but it's uh, an exchanged righteousness where Jesus took our sin and gives us his perfection. So God looks at us and he sees his son. This is all done to us, which should make us just go, yay. You know, a lot of times when I'm writing, I just will go, wow, and put exclamation. That's so exciting. Now he's going to move toward what happens next. Because of that, because of these things that are done to you by God completely, now what do we do? What part do we have in this? So look at 2 Peter. I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we look at this, and what sticks out to me is that last verse there. And this is what we're looking forward to is your kingdom. Uh, Jesus, we know you're coming back. Uh, we know you're going to set up your reign and rule. And until then, we want to be about your business. We want to grow in you. We want to grow in grace and in peace. Uh, we thank you for Peter, uh, that Peter would write this. We thank you for the, the stories that were written down of, of Peter's life, of Peter following you. And we see somebody who, who stumbled and struggled and was impetuous at times, uh, but who glorified you greatly. And, and I, uh, I ask that we would be the same. That we, when we stumble, we would get back up. That we would be reconciled to you. And you would do what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see there, uh, verse 5, says, For this very reason, make every effort. There's kind of the theme. Make every effort. Meaning, work really hard. For what reason? Really, everything that came before, but specifically the verse right before, verse 4. For what reason? For this, because, the second half of verse 4, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For that reason, make every effort. Make every effort to grow. So, again, we're saved. This is this picture here of, as Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, we're a new creation. We're given the Holy Spirit. In, in Colossians, it talks about we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's this picture of when we become Christians, we don't just get better. Uh, we don't just get saved, but something happens. We become new creations. 
We're given the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Old Testament predicted this looking forward in Jeremiah, that our heart of stone would be removed and we would be given a heart of flesh, meaning we start to love what God loves. A change takes place. So because of that, we have escaped the corruption because of sinful desire, because of the lust of this world. Those things that we would go after, we've escaped that. It doesn't mean we're not tempted by our flesh. It doesn't mean we can't step back into sin, but we've escaped the corruption, meaning before we know Jesus, we were enslaved to sin. We have no other choice. Because of that sin, we are destined for eternity apart from God. We've escaped from that. Past tense done because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, for me. Now we've escaped that corruption, meaning we, we get heaven, not hell, because of Jesus. Uh, we've escaped now the enslavement to sin. You know, three Ps. There's the the presence of sin, which we still have because we're in these bodies. There's the penalty for sin, which is gone because of Jesus. And there's the power of sin, which is broken because of the Holy Spirit in us. So we still have the presence of sin, but we've escaped the corruption. We don't have to give into it anymore. And I think that's kind of Peter's theme is he's saying, you've escaped this. Now, let's live in a way that glorifies God. This theme runs throughout Scripture. Growth in virtue is of utmost importance and deserves utmost effort. Have you ever heard the phrase, just let go and let God? You know, because we're saved by faith, you don't have to do anything. And there's times, you know, let go and let God, meaning you're stressing over something, let God stress over it. That's good. And this idea does come from a good theological stance of God saves. Again, saved not by works, but by faith alone. But if we stay there throughout, then we're missing a key part of our spiritual lives. And it's this, make every effort. Just so you know, Peter's not the only one that thinks this way. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul would write, uh, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. James would write, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is a theme throughout the whole New Testament. After salvation, now we grow. We move towards something. Now, I have to tell you, we're going to look through this list of virtues, um, but I am really blessed, personally. I'm blessed as a, as a pastor to be part of a church full of people that are going to hear this and actually want to do it. Um, I don't, I've been in church my whole life. I went to a Christian college, and it's actually somewhat rare to get a big group of people who want to say yes to what Jesus says before they know what it is. Uh, I spoke to somebody recently who visited a group uh, this last semester, and they said, we, we love that group. I said, why? Because everybody in that group, wherever they are in life, they really want to follow Jesus. They really want to grow, and we experience that in our group as well. So this is exciting. Um, thank you, by the way. And now let's look at this. So make every effort to do what? Verse 5. To supplement your faith. So your faith is in Jesus. We're given that. Now we supplement our faith with virtue. First, that word supplement. That word literally means to provide at one's own expense. That's what that word literally means. To you buy it. You know, it, you're going on a camping trip and you go out and you go buy all the food you need, uh, you know, to eat on that. You buy it. You supplement it. You provide at your own expense. And what is it? The first one is virtue. The Jesus follower strives for virtue or moral excellence. That's what that word means. Moral excellence. You know, you can look back a little bit and see uh, in uh, verse 3, you know, where it says that we are called 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's the picture there. Uh, morally like Jesus. Pure, holy. A broad reference, really, to Christ-likeness. And so we supply that. Interesting. Now, in, in addition to virtue, we supplement uh, our faith with virtue and our virtue with knowledge. So again, supplement, meaning we buy it at our own expense, knowledge. The Jesus follower is to diligently work for the wisdom and discernment which the Christian needs for a virtuous life which is progressively acquired. Read that again. <laughs> the, the Jesus follower is to diligently work for the wisdom and discernment which the Christian needs for a virtuous life and which is progressively acquired. This knowledge could be wisdom. Uh, we talked about it some last week. It's an experiential knowledge. Uh, remember, you can have just a knowledge of something, a head knowledge, but experiential knowledge is what we want with Christ. Peter, uh, in, in the boat, and Jesus went walking on the water. All the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water. Peter was the only one who said, hey, can I walk on the water too? And he stepped out. He was the only one that had this experiential knowledge of walking on the water. The others had knowledge of it. They saw it, but only Peter experienced it. So here, we're supposed to supplement at our own expense by this experiential knowledge. Uh, part of that is head knowledge, learning, studying the Bible. We are to make effort to learn and then to apply, to do it, to live it out. You know, at salvation, when we receive the Holy Spirit, there is something that happens. There is a veil. The Scripture talks about a, a veil that's removed, and we start to understand spiritual things in a way we didn't before. We start to understand Scripture in a way that we didn't before, but we don't just have all knowledge. You know, we're, we're not like Neo. Remember Neo in the Matrix? And they, and they plug in the thing. He's like, I know Kung Fu. Um, it, it's not like that. We, we now have the capacity to learn, the capacity to grow like Christ, but it's not just boom, and so we need to pursue it. Make every effort to study Kung Fu. And, you know, that's what we have to do in anything else. It's the same here in our knowledge. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 4, 7 would say that the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is... Get wisdom, meaning I, I, I'm going to go get wisdom. The, the, pro, the writer of Proverbs would write elsewhere, you know, wisdom is greater than gold. You should sell everything you have just to buy wisdom. It's better than treasure. It's better than anything. And so it begins with, I want it, you know, and Jesus says, grow in knowledge. Okay, I want that. I'm going to pursue that. So there's knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Again, remember that word supplement we could put in before each of these. Now, at your own expense, buy self-control. What is self-control? This one's a little bit tough, and I'll tell you why this passage can be a struggle. Because uh, for me, I remember being in college, and I remember you know, struggling with lust, and I remember in the morning getting up, spending my time with Jesus, saying, Jesus, today, I want to think pure thoughts. You know, but I would not always give it to him in prayer. I would just wake up and today I'm going to think pure thoughts. And I walk out the door and the first thing I do is see somebody that is wearing what they shouldn't be wearing and my mind goes somewhere else. You know, and I go, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to, and I would make every effort. 
the problem here is it's not just a self-control. It, it is a self-control, but the effort is really in being controlled by the Spirit. So when the Scripture talks about self-control, it, it's really talking about releasing control that the Holy Spirit would be in control. Galatians 5.16 tells us, Walk by the Spirit, and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So our, our effort isn't into, and you can, in your own strength, have great self-control on certain things and self-discipline, but this is really our effort into relying on Jesus. Jesus would say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So make every effort, and I would say here's what that looks like. Make every effort to cling tightly to Jesus. Make every effort to abide in him, to stay in him. Then, when those temptations pop up, make every effort to avoid them. <laughs> you know, make every effort then to turn to Jesus. Here's where scripture memory is priceless. You memorize scripture, temptations pop up, quote scripture. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, you know, after his baptism? Every time Satan would tempt him, he would quote scripture. Tempt him, he would quote scripture. So we have, again, going to last week, we have everything we need to live a life of godliness, to grow. But here again, self-control. The Jesus follower makes every effort to give control to the indwelling Holy Spirit. But again, this takes effort. You know, some of those would say, you know, it's all up to let go and let God. So if a temptation comes, I just give into it. And that's what the false teachers were telling them. That was part of this Gnosticism. Was that, you know, your spirit and your body are separate, and so let your body do whatever it wants. Just give in to the lust. He says, no, make every effort not to do that. Self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness, perseverance. Literally, this means to remain under. So, as we go through life, and here this church was about to go through great persecution. This was right during the time where Nero was emperor, and Nero was about to bring this great persecution, which would kill Peter. Peter would die in that. Um, and so he's saying, persevere. You're going to suffer for being a Christian. It, they're going to come against you, so bear up under it. You know, he doesn't say we'll live through it. We might die. We might be martyred. Many have throughout history. So bear up under it. Now, in our Country right now, we're very blessed in that we don't have that kind of persecution. But persecution is increasing. And I think for us, we have more of a, you know, the world basically coming in saying, hey, Christianity should look like this, tolerance or, or whatever. And, and there is tolerance, but not the way our world uh, says tolerance should be. So for us to persevere, I believe it's to stand up with Scripture. What does the Word say? The world says this. We're going to stand up under that. We're going to pursue Jesus despite what the world is, is pushing on us. Again, it's to remain under. Steadfastness is the virtue needed to stand firm in one's commitment to Jesus over the long haul in the face of persecution or other hardships. I, I like that quote because it's over the long haul. You know, we, we want things right now, but no, it's, it's persevere. Some of us are older than others. Some of us have walked you know, with Christ longer than others. And you can probably say, if you're one of those older ones walking with Christ for a long time, you, sometimes you need to persevere. You're not always on this mountaintop high. Read the Psalms. 
You know, in the Psalms, David and other psalmists you know, would glorify God at times and other times would go, God, where are you? Why are you ignoring me? I'm eating my tears here. You know, my enemies are going to get me. So it doesn't mean we're always on this mountaintop feeling great, but it means we're going to persevere. In those low times, we persevere. We trust God. We go through it. And again, we supply this, meaning make every effort to make it through. Although life will be difficult at times, we commit to never give up on God, ever. That's steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. Now, you read that one, godliness, and, and at least for me, I think, well, how is godliness different than virtue? You know, virtue is a godlike character. What is godliness? This word is really the word piety or piety, depending on however you say it. Godliness means we show proper respect and reverence to God. Again, we go back to the idea of wisdom, and what did the, the writer of Proverbs says? the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom, but also the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so that, this is that idea of reverence and awe. Who's your authority? You know, again, we as Americans, we like to be our own authority. I'm the authority. I get to decide what's right or wrong. I get to decide what's best for me. No, Jesus is the authority. Do we, do we give God that reverence and that authority that whatever it is you say, I'm going to do that? Even if it doesn't feel good, even if it's going to cost me, you're worth it. You're worth it. That's what this means by godliness. He has that authority in your life. And part of this, too, is, is it breaks down the, the, the secular and the sacred. We have a tendency to go, okay, we have secular, we have sacred. Secular is my work life or my school life. Sacred is when I go to church or the time I spend with Jesus in the morning. You know, secular might be my time with my family. Uh, you know, sacred is the time where my family sits down to do a, a Bible study together. Really, everything is sacred. Your work is sacred. Everything you do, you can glorify God in. And so this idea of godliness is that Jesus has, he's your authority everywhere. So when you're at work, your employee, employer, whatever it is, and life is happening, Jesus is your authority. You know, you may move forward in your profession, whatever it is, if you lie, if you slander, if you do some things. But no, we go God's way. We're going to do it God's way. He's the authority. We go to our taxes. Taxes, it's coming up, right? Um, you can uh, shade a number here. You can hide something there. But guess what? Who's your authority? Nobody will know, but he will. He's our authority. So that's this idea of godliness. Even if nobody else knows, I'm going to submit to, I'm going to obey Jesus. So now Peter's going to move from these. These are all kind of vertical virtues. Now he's going to give us two more horizontal virtues. Verse 7, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That word uh, brotherly affection is a good translation because it, it literally means familial love. You know, we are to be family as, as believers. We're to be family. You're my brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, Paul has talked about this before. And there's those churches that call each other brother or sister, and sometimes that feels really weird. Um, but it, it has a good root. We are brothers and sisters. You know, we, we, you are my sisters. You are my brothers. We are to treat each other with familial love. Now, think about being in a family, the, the commitment we're supposed to have as a family to make it through thick and thin. You know, you have those friends or those acquaintances, and they wrong you, and you're like, I'm done with you, fine. But your family? <laughs> you, you can do that, but we know in our heart of hearts that's not what we're supposed to do as family. We show up for one another as family. So that's this idea, is that as believers, we have family love for one another, family affection. And, and by the way, that affection isn't a feeling. 
It sounds like a feeling, but it's a commitment to one another. That's partly why we're doing our all-in dinner tonight. Part of it is talking about what does it look like to commit as a family? Because we are a family. And then that last one is love. Love. That is agape, meaning God's kind of love. Christians are, oh, I skipped this, but Christians are to make every effort to treat one another as family. And again, if you notice, you know, love, it's a virtue, not an emotion. You know, I like the definition of love. Uh, love is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. That's love. And it goes back to Jesus. Again, we, this isn't us working hard. It, it is, but it's based on us working out of the overflow of Jesus in us. It begins with Jesus. What did Jesus do on the cross? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get good. He didn't wait for us to turn to him. He didn't wait to see some glimmer of love in us. You know, Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Can you imagine that? These people that just beat you, spit on you, put a crown of thorns on your head, stripped you naked, nailed you to this thing, brought you up there, and then made fun of you. And he's up there looking down at them with compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's love. That's love. And we're to have that kind of love. And again, how can we have this kind of love? Not by fabricating it, working really hard, but by abiding in Jesus and him living in and through us. So again, yes, make every effort. And in the moment when somebody wrongs you, a fellow believer, this church or any church, you know, we are all family, somebody wrongs you, make effort not to lash out. You know, make effort to control yourself, you know, assume the best and seek clarification, whatever that is. But the most effort comes first in abiding in Jesus, in walking in the Spirit, in letting him have complete control. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that Peter includes this, because if they're yours and increasing, meaning Peter understands the progressive nature of sanctification, the idea that we are growing in these things. You know, that we don't look around and compare, ooh, I'm more loving than that person, or I'm not as, that's not it. We're supposed to look at ourselves and maybe compare ourselves with our previous selves. Are we growing? It is progressive. Over time, as we experience Jesus, we become more and more like Jesus. And if we are growing in these virtues, we will be neither useless nor unfruitful. Now, I'll be totally honest. Uh, For me, I don't fear death. I don't fear judgment because Jesus died for me and I know I have it in him. Here's what I do fear, being unfruitful. I do fear being useless. I do fear standing before Jesus in the end and he went, man, I have these other couple things for you to do and you missed it. You know, and I, I think it's gonna, there's going to be some of that uh, in the judgment day. There's going to be somewhat of remorse, not for sin, but maybe for those things that, that we could have done for Jesus and didn't. That's what I fear. You know, I fear missing out because of my own selfishness. But here, if these virtues are growing, we will not be useless. We will not be fruitless. Again, what's the point? We talk about this all the time. You know, Jesus doesn't just save us to save us. Jesus saves us then so we grow, so we bear fruit. You know, and that fruit is fruit of good works. He wants to do that in and through us. So he's glorified most of all. But then also, so others see that, others come to know him, and they grow, and again, he's glorified. So we are growing. 
Now, here's the negative side. Verse 9, he says, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, this is going to connect with the next verse. Obviously, they run together. But here's the thing. I think this is also helpful. He's speaking to believers, right? And he's saying, if you are not growing in these things, if you're forgetting these things, and he's later going to write, I'm writing to remind you to grow in these things. And if you're not, there's a problem, and it's you've forgotten something. You have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. Go back to verse 4, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is that idea of, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to sin. You know, God made me this way, and I struggle with this, and I'm, I'm just going to sin. Thank goodness I'm forgiven. He says, no, if you're doing that, you have forgotten that you've been set free. Those chains are broken. You don't have to walk that way anymore. But again, he's writing to believers, you've forgotten that you're cleansed. He's not saying, you know, you're not saved. He's saying you're blind, you're nearsighted. We know very clearly through Scripture it is possible to come to know Christ and then grow little in life. But that's an aberration. That should not be the norm. If you have a big group and people just aren't growing, yeah, we're all saved, but nobody's growing, there's a real problem there. And I think he's going to go on in verse 10 to describe that. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here, this, these verses can be misconstrued. They can be confusing. What does it mean that you will never fall? A lot would read that, and maybe naturally we just read that and go, would never fall, that means never sin. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Because we connect it with the next verse, never fall really means fall to the point of not being saved. Meaning, in the end, being apart from God, standing before Jesus and Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. And we know, again, in Scripture you see very clearly there will be those among the church, among the body, that believe they're saved, but aren't. And what he's saying here is you're saved by, by grace alone, by faith alone, not by works, but the works should follow. And if you see these virtues coming out in your life, if you're growing in the, these because you're abiding in Christ, not because you're super religious, but because you're growing in him, this confirms your election. They, they go together. Again, it doesn't make your election sure. It doesn't make salvation happen, but it confirms that it has happened in you. Meaning, and maybe you've heard this, maybe you've said this, this person is nothing like Jesus. They don't even profess faith in Jesus anymore, but when they were a kid, they prayed the prayer and were baptized, so they're saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible lays out pretty clearly if someone truly experiences salvation, something happens. They should grow. Again, we have to be careful. This is, this is one of those rubs where we don't look at somebody else. You know, when I was, many years ago, me and a friend would meet on, I don't remember what morning, Thursday mornings to have coffee and breakfast uh, and talk, you know, we'd study something and talk about God. And, and somebody joined us that day. Another friend of ours came and, and saw us and said, hey, can I sit with you? What are you guys doing? I'm like, well, we're talking about God things. Uh, we're looking at the Bible. And, and he said, oh, okay. He said, I'm a Christian. He said, do you guys think I'm a Christian? I said, well, and so this, this is part, maybe what not to do. Um, he, he was living with his girlfriend, um, and I said, and he was, he was a partier. He was a, there was no Christ-likeness visibly. And I said, well, here's my question. You're, you're living with whatever her name is. Do you see anything wrong with that? And he's like, no. 
I said, then I'd say you might not be saved. Because if you were, the Holy Spirit in you would be convicting you. It doesn't mean we can't walk in sin, but there's something about the Holy Spirit working in there. Now, maybe I said too much. Maybe I didn't have that authority. You know what I mean? I can't see a heart, but let's look at our own heart. In our own heart, do we desire to go His way? Do we desire to grow in these virtues? And then if so, let's pursue it. Let's go all in. If you don't see those, you need to have a conversation with Jesus. And maybe you, like me, have that conversation. You realize, no, I'm saved. We're we're good. But there's a problem. There is a problem with my heart still. I'm wanting these things. And maybe you, like me, often will have to pray, God, help me to want to want you. You know, it's, I know these things are true, but in all honesty, right now, I want to go toward this sin. I want to go this way. So God, I know this, I I really don't want to go this way. Change my heart. Help me to want to want you. And he's, he will honor that. He will step in and he will work. He will do things. And here's the blessing. It's verse 11. There will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Later in the book, he's going to elaborate a little bit on that. But his kingdom. I I mean, it's like a parade when we go in. We're going to enter into this kingdom because of Jesus. We've been growing. How exciting will that day be? The marriage supper of the Lamb. God's plan for us is to save us by his work alone, by what Jesus did on the cross. And then we grow in him. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and then verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You know, think about those things that you care about. You know, for me, choir, I didn't care so much. I would just lip sync. Well, later, you know, I was a wrestler. Wrestling was one of my main sports in my senior year. I dropped 20 pounds. I really cared. My sisters tell me those were the worst months because I was always hangry. Um, but I remember, I remember eating yogurt and then taking a knife out and cutting it open and licking what was left in there. I was committed. You know, I would work out and then I would work out more and I would work out hard. I was committed to that. What are those things that you're committed to? You know, maybe it's your profession. Until you're going to classes, you're learning, you're studying to grow, to get better. You go to a seminar. Uh, maybe you're in college, you're in school, and you're studying for whatever that would be. How about those hobbies? You know, sometimes we have those hobbies. Uh, I know some of us in here like to hunt. How much effort does it take for hobbies of hunting and going? How much more should we put effort toward Christ-likeness? How much more should we put effort effort to these virtues growing because that's who we are in Christ? Uh, I had a meeting with someone the other day uh, just talking about their time with Jesus, and they said, you know, I pray when I I remember to. (laughs) I said, well, maybe you should do that on purpose. Maybe you should set time for that. Well, when I find time, well, here's the thing. You have time for whatever is important. That's just the fact of it, isn't it? You have time for what's important. So if this is important, it's not about finding time. It's about making the time. And it does take time. It does take time to pursue Jesus. But as I wrap this up and as we move toward worship, here's our our application. It really comes down to, yeah, we want to grow, but it's drawing closer to Jesus. I, I want to finish with really abiding. Again, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you will do nothing. It comes to abiding in him. And then, yes, then putting the effort into spending time abiding with him. And then secondary, making the effort to grow in these virtues. So as we take the Lord's Supper, 
This is for all believers. If you have placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, take a minute before you come up here and take the, the bread and the cup, remembering what Jesus did. Take a minute. Look at these virtues. You know, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, is there an area here where you want to grow? If you look at this and you go, I really don't have any desire to grow in these virtues, pray the prayer I said. You know, God, help me to desire to grow in these. If you're questioning or, or you want to talk to somebody, I'll be in, in the, available in the back. Somebody else is going to be back there. They'll have a name tag on. We will be available to talk with you, to pray with you, because we are committed not to just doing church, but to growing. He wants to grow us. He wants to do great things in us. And so don't let this just bypass. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. But let's respond. Let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do in your life. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your word. Um, th this one can be, there's some tension here, um, God, of we're saved by faith alone, but then we grow, and we put effort into growing. And so I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds. Wherever my words fell short, that you would give us truth, that we would understand and have peace with salvation in you, your finished work on the cross but then that you would stir in us a love and a desire to grow, a desire to be rid of sin, a desire to love the way you love, a desire to be committed to others and, and to serve them for their benefit, even if it costs us great things and we get no earthly benefit from it. God, we want to be like you. So Jesus, grow us. Fill us with your grace and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.